The information contained in this podcast is provided for your general information only. It does not give medical advice or engage in the practice of medicine. This massage podcast under no circumstances recommends particular treatment for specific individuals and in all cases recommends that you consult your physician or local treatment center before pursuing any course of treatment. to the Massage Podcast pilot episode. I am your host, Dawn Adkins, along here with Jorge Cisneros, our producer, and Elaine Kalenda, our massage expert. We are all three massage therapists, and we are creating a show here to talk about all things massage, Uh, different aspects of being a massage therapist, and there are many, many issues, of course, that we can discuss as far as body work itself. I have been practicing massage therapy for eight years after graduating from the Boulder College of Massage Therapy. I'm a full-time massage therapist and I know and understand all of the challenges that goes along with this. I enjoy myofascial release and other types of body work, but that tends to be my favorite at the moment. I'd like to introduce to you today, Elaine Kalenda. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm very excited to be on this podcast. Uh, There is so much information that needs to be shared. Um, I've been in the massage therapy business for going on 31 years now, teaching at the Boulder College of Massage Therapy for the last, well, it'll be 19 years in January. So uh, I have a lot of graduates. They're always calling me up, asking me everything from self-care tips to treatment, uh, telling me about different people they're working with and the challenges they're having. So I'm hoping that we can use this podcast also as a way, not for me to not, because I never answer the phone, but I mean, to get that kind of information out, because I know that the people calling me are not the only ones who have these same questions come up over and over. So I'm happy to do whatever I can to share information because I get information from all over the country and like to bring it into focus here. Excellent. And Jorge Cisneros, please tell us about yourself. Sure. My name is Jorge, and I've been doing massage for the last eight years. I'm also a BCMT graduate. And uh, first of all, I would like to thank you both for coming with me and joining me to this, exploring this project. Uh, as Don mentioned before, this is a pilot show. What we're planning to do is eight shows in a row and see what type of response we get out there. Um, I agree with Donna and, and with Elaine in terms that there's so much information to be shared, and I think audio is a great tool to do it. So I'm, I'm really happy. I, I pretty much, my part-time job is doing massage. I, I do 20 hours a week of massage, and my other 20 hours I do web consulting. My previous background is in engineering, so that's why I'm trying to blend two of the things that I, I love, technology with something that I, I really passionate about, which is massage. Very good. Today we're going to start our we're going to start our pilot episode off with 
frozen shoulder. That's going to be our topic today. And we have Elaine here with a pad full of written information. And she's going to impart her wisdom as far as everything that involves frozen shoulder and how to treat it and self-care. So I think the first question is going to be, what exactly is frozen shoulder, Elaine? All right. Well, that's a very good question. And one that uh, I'm asked a lot of times, um, which is one of the reasons why I did put together a DVD on this subject. It, I don't know if everybody gets a lot of these cases, but I certainly they certainly do come my way. Uh, frozen shoulder, and one of the definitions that I like the best comes from Fiona Rattray's um, book called Clinical Massage Therapy. That is, this is a book that uh, I use in medical massage when I teach at, Sweet, at the uh, Boulder College of Massage Therapy, and it has just about everything. So I highly recommend that book, Clinical Massage Therapy uh, by Fiona Rattray and Linda Ludwig. And Fiona says, frozen shoulder is painful, significant restriction of active and passive range of motion at the shoulder, most frequently in abduction, that's abduction, and external rotation. This is a really complete definition of this um, very debilitating condition and although there are many many different theories about what causes it and what it actually is it's still unclear exactly what it is now if it comes from an injury then everybody can clearly understand well they fell down they fractured their humerus then they have frozen shoulder but some people get this it just comes on uh, especially between the ages of uh, particularly between the ages of 40 and 70 and it'll just mysteriously arise and suddenly they find the person finds they can't do common things like dry off their back with a towel or reach that detergent from the top shelf so forth so uh nobody really knows what causes that type of frozen shoulder that's very interesting so there's not a certain type of person that perhaps can get frozen shoulder like you said you had the age range but are there office workers or anybody can just spontaneously get frozen shoulder. That's that's what it seems like. And then um, they're trying to, because more women get frozen shoulder than men, they tried to see if there was a, some sort of hormonal uh, link there. Again, there's uh, a lot of theories, um, but nobody's really sure of the, the cause of that mysterious arising of frozen shoulder. But it does happen, but it does, it's rarely going to happen to somebody under the age of 40. And then it doesn't occur on, with people over the age of 70. So that's very mysterious. Do you have a theory? Um, uh, several things have run through my mind over the, uh, but, you know, I don't have a specific theory because as soon as I think I do, somebody comes in and they mystify me again. It's like they don't fit into a box. And that's what it is. And one of the most important things uh, with this is to treat each person very individually because they're all going to have a different story to tell. And some, while some things might be somewhat predictable, um, the overall case has to be treated uh, very individually. That's amazing. I know I, um, <clears throat> and for for instance, fibromyalgia people, patients or clients that I have, I would say 90% of them have had a traumatic event in their life. And whether it be physically or emotionally. And after this traumatic event, the onset of fibromyalgia symptoms seems to appear. And I was just wondering if maybe you thought 
that frozen shoulder could have that kind of component to it, a stress-related event or something in somebody's head or whatever they feel is stressful? Well, I haven't done the research on it, but I tell you, for the most part, when we get into our fourth, fifth, or sixth session around there, people generally have told me that they're remembering some sort of event that was traumatic or in some way changed their life or, yeah, as if their body changed. So I, I think there's a traumatic link, but then there are times when there's not. So it's not, like I said, you can't just say it's caused by this. There are many causes, many theories. Now, I have, I have a question for you, Elaine. Is it possible that you can confuse this condition with many other? Because as I'm hearing, there could be different aspects into the into this particular frozen shoulder uh, situation. And I, w I was just wondering, how do you come up with the right diagnosis of, of, about this? Okay, and that's a great question, Jorge. And the, the point here is that you really have to work with the healthcare team on this one because you don't know. You could actually do more harm than good, especially if you decide you're going to do an aggressive treatment. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, there, there are studies that show that treating the sh frozen shoulder too aggressively actually makes it last longer. So we have to be very careful. I ask my clients to uh, fill out a complete health history and that they should get a diagnosis from a physician okay. or chiropractor or osteopath uh, before you know we really get into the treatment because it could be, and it's very often confused with uh, rotator cuff tendonitis, mm -hmm. uh, could be a bursitis. Mm -hmm. Now these will show up in, during your assessment and you must have a good assessment plan and a very complete assessment that you do, muscle tests, strength testing, you wanna test for active and passive range of motion, and then you want to keep good track of your progress as well so that you can see, well, if it's not going the way you want it to go in the first three sessions, send them back to the doctor or send them to the doctor mm -hmm. because there very well could be something uh, going on. And a lot of times it could be some type of bursitis or a tear of the, mm -hmm. of the t capsule somewhere. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be, you know, treating that with your standard protocols for frozen shoulder at that point. I see. Um, so as a massage therapist, what is your protocol for this or how is it that massage therapy can help frozen shoulder? Okay. Well, um, first of all, again, back to the assessment and the, the cause, because uh, again, if they have had an injury that you can, you know, like, um, for instance, the woman who's the model in the frozen shoulder DVD, uh, that we, we did was um, fall, she fell off a ski lift and she fractured the humeral head of, uh, you know, she had a surgical fracture of the humerus. So to us it was obvious, of course, that this, after she the fracture healed, she developed frozen shoulder. So that was a very um, clean-cut case, in other words. Uh, so it could be caused by injury, and then you'll know. It could be caused by the casting that people have to go through. They're put in a cast sometimes for several weeks or sometimes months. For some people who have had rigidity or adhesive capsulitis, was the more technical name for frozen shoulder, um, have had surgical repair and then been splinted for several weeks or a couple of months. So the, uh, the disuse atrophy that comes from something like that, there you're going to have to build up the movement of the shoulder. So that's a type of frozen shoulder. Then there's uh, trigger points, especially in the subscapularis. Trigger points and adhesions. So if you have, for some reason, um, 
a pain in your shoulder, then you tend to splint and splint the, the arm close to the body, hold it close to the body, and shrug your shoulder. And that can cause all kinds of adhesions, particularly between subscapularis, serratus anterior, and the latissimus dorsi. And that's a big part of your job right there, is to disadhere those muscles. Myofascial release techniques, for instance, are very effective at that. There's also the, the idea that people have round-shouldered posture, postural um, dysfunctions, um, and, and even other things like diabetes uh, and heart problems, the hemiplegia that people have after stroke. So, I mean, the list goes on. So if your first duty to your client is to do a good um, health history, very thorough health history, and uh, a good um, assessment test everything and really try to get a sense of how much pain they're in so that you can really modulate for that individual and not be too aggressive with them because that will backfire on you. How, how's the pain in, in the condition? Is it really sharp pain or? At the very beginning, well, you have three stages of frozen shoulder. Mm -hmm. And the first stage, the, what's called the freezing stage, is about uh, three months. And during that time, the pain can be very severe, particularly at night. And one of the biggest complaints that people have is that it's, at night it starts to get so painful that, and they can't sleep on that side. And they might not, well, sleep on the other side. But, you know, it's uh, very tiring not to be able to move around and toss and turn a little bit. It, some people don't get a good night's sleep if they have to stay in one position the whole time. So that's in the first three months. And that's what's called, again, the, the acute stage. It's called the freezing stage. And then um, another three months goes by, and during that time, the, the severe pain does tend to subside a bit. Um, but that's called the, the frozen mm -hmm. stage. And that's when people lose most of their motion. They no longer can, like, you know, finagle through and get uh, to things they want to do. And then the, th the next three months, so in other words, it's kind of like a nine-month spread for the, your frozen shoulder time. But the last three months uh, is called the thawing stage. And this is when um, pain diminishes even more and some of the function starts to come back. Some of the stiffening starts to, um, to go away and people start to regain some function. Now, this, mind you, is with or without treatment. But it's been my experience from working with dozens of cases that all, if, no matter what stage that person comes to you, you can always make them feel better, uh, have more function, and less pain. I get that call the other day. I worked with, I'm working with two, two men right now with frozen shoulder, and they're both in different stages. And uh, the first time I worked with this, this one man, he called me the very next day and he said, Elaine, I just want to tell you that last night was the first night I got a good night's sleep in months. And that's always a call you like to get. You know, mm -hmm. because then, you know, and then a couple of weeks later, he said, last night was the first time I could sleep on my other side. Then, you know, you're making really good progress. Okay, It's like a real key information bit that you want to get. Then, you know, you're on the right track with your protocol. Do you think, um, <clears throat> have you seen anybody reach full range of motion after having frozen shoulder? And do you think massage therapy gets them there quicker Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now, mind you, there are some cases where people are going to have residual problems with that shoulder for the rest of their life. But 
for the most part, if they're lucky enough to meet a massage therapist, uh, they will do better and they will regain much more function than if it was just left to heal on its own. What, um, so in working with someone with frozen shoulder, what are the things to be careful of and watch out for? And I know you mentioned earlier that we don't want to be too aggressive. And what exactly does that mean? Like not attacking all of the muscles at the same time or working specifically each session on only two muscles? So, yes, you know, you'll, you'll depend on how they do with their assessment at each the beginning of each visit um, it's not a, a, a set protocol there are certain things that you almost always want to do or maybe I should put it this way you always want to try and get away with which is of course the myofascial release of the all the muscles of the shoulder complex in other words you have to visit you can't just work with the shoulder and expect good results in fact if you just work with the shoulder then oftentimes you're going to make the shoulder sore. It's going to, you know, have residual effects. It may become inflamed and exacerbate the condition. So um, generally you do a very good thorough cervical massage. You want to get the neck as lined up as you can, get the muscles on either side as balanced as you can. And I should say, of course, all sides uh, of the neck. You want to work with that levator scapular muscle to really gently talk it out of its insistence on being ever so uh, adaptively shortened because that is the, almost the culprit of all the other things with the shoulder. It will start the chain of events. Uh, so good neck massage, work both shoulders, both arms, the chest. You have to work with diaphragmatic breathing because a lot of times that's really diminished. Um, and then um, sideline work, I've gotten a lot, I've gotten away with, with murder on that sideline work because for some reason when the person's sidelined, they don't pay attention in the same way mm-hmm. as when they're supine, certainly prone. So you can get a hold of the, the um, arm and kind of fool it into letting go of the scapula long enough for you, hopefully, to pull that inferior angle out and away from, from its adhesion to the rib cage. Um, so that's very good. Take. And then in prone position, a nice, relaxing back massage. And if you decide then you're going to do trigger points, you know, try to do a couple and not do, you know, 15 minutes worth of trigger points because that will put that person, you know, back in that trauma vortex, so to speak. And it's going to be a wrestling match. You want the treatment to be as pain-free as possible. And I think it only takes two, th- three treatments tops to really get that individuals, um, everyone has a different pain threshold. Mm -hmm. And after two, three visits, you really know where that is and you have to honor that. And then, then you're okay. I have one, one question. When somebody has been diagnosed with this condition and then what can we tell them in terms of how many sessions are we going to go through in order to make a change? Do you have any ballpark? We're talking about four, six, eight sessions. Sure. Jorge, it's a, um, again, no matter what happens, it generally with a real frozen shoulder, in other words, if it's a metabolic condition in mm-hmm. the shoulder joint, adhesive capsulitis, it's going to take nine months. Who knows what that where that time came from? Maybe a rebirth of your arm, you know. Um, but again, with treatment, I would say it's 
good treatment protocol, like I just described, I would say it's going to take three sessions before they're starting to notice that they're getting more function, no matter which stage they're in, mind you. They're getting more function, less pain, sleeping better, better mood uh, within three to four sessions. And again, if you're not getting that kind of progress in three to four sessions, there may be something else going on that you'll want them to, to get checked out. Okay. Is it always the same specific muscles that are involved in frozen shoulder? Yes. It's there, always, the, that's how they diagnose us. And what were those muscles again? Right. There, there's the, the usual group of culprits, subscapularis. Um, as far as adhesions are concerned, the, the subscapularis that adheses to the serratus anterior, which it, of course adheses to the uh, latissimus dorsi. And then the whole breathing apparatus uh, is um, glued down, so your intercostals and your diaphragm. So you want to pay attention to all of those which are on the side of the body, of course, underneath the scapula and that whole axillary area. Um, and then there's, those are the, the splinters, the muscles that hold the arm close to the body. And the sneaky ones that belong to that group are the, believe it or not, deltoid anterior and posterior deltoid mm-hmm. and the bicep and tricep long heads. Don't let them fool you or hide from you. And sometimes you'll find that tricep long head has a, a sort of sticky, thick feeling all the way down uh, the forearm, all the way down to the hand from just being held close to the body in that sort of defensive pattern. And then up above for the shrugging is the levator scapula and the trapezius, especially upper middle fibers of trapezius. Now, if you have all those adaptively shortened muscles and splinting and muscles that are adhered, then you're going to have weakness. So you have the adaptive shortening muscles and you have the stretch weakened muscles. So that's why I say assessment is so important so that you can wake up the sleepers and calm down the ones that are hypervigilant. Are the pecs usually involved in this too? Yes. You know, peop- uh, you know, my friend Ben Benjamin, who's a total expert in uh, all subjects orthopedic, he um, makes a bigger deal than I do of the pectoralis involvement. And a lot of times I'll go there, work with the pectoralis muscles, major and minor. I don't know. For me, I may f- a couple, some people are very tight there. Others don't seem to be. It's not an area that I spend a lot of time, and it seems to resolve itself more quickly than those, than those sneaky ones hiding underneath the scapula. What does, do you think that muscle, muscle energy technique works with this or any type of range of motion? I imagine you don't want to force any mm-hmm. type of range of motion, but mm-hmm. try to stimulate some type of Absolutely. Dawn, mus- the muscle energy techniques are the safest way to do the last part of your treatment, which is the strengthening and balancing. So I, I would say that those are, you know, uh, PIRs and, and RIs, ways to fool the muscle and to reprogram that muscle's proper length and, and strength. So they're absolutely essential. And you'll want to do them as early as possible, but again, without creating a strong pain response. I understand. Mm-hmm. I, I was wondering if people could take advantage of the uh, hot and cold therapy with, with this, Elaine? Is that okay yes, or not? Absolutely. I have a, a note here on hydrotherapy. And because, you know, just the name, frozen shoulder, almost begs for heat, you know. And, uh, 
And I think that after the, the acute phase, the freezing phase, where sometimes ice is more appropriate, especially if there's a rotator cuff tear or there's a bursitis, sometimes ice is the only answer in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but later on, you want to thaw your shoulder out with uh, any kind of heat treatment uh, applied at night uh, via um, something that you can heat up in the microwave. I mean, there's so many wonderful options now for heat. Or the good old-fashioned heating pad in bed on your neck and shoulder as a way to calm you down and help you sleep better. Thank so you. Dry or moist heat's fine. Okay. And what other type of uh, self-care tips do you recommend for people with frozen shoulder? One of the, one of the first and safest uh, things to do is called the pendulum swing. And it is a classic physical therapy uh, exercise that's given. Um, and it just requires the person to have some sort of weight in the hand or sometimes we tell them just take a plastic bag and put a couple cans of soup in there to make a weight mm-hmm. and a swing and stand on a step or something that's high off the ground and and just start swinging the shoulder to their pain tolerance. I mean, to their tolerance. It should not hurt. It should feel good. And it will pull the, 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 the head of the humerus tends during all this time to migrate into the glenoid, glenoid fossa. So it tends to add a gentle pull to that. And when they swing it, uh, one way they, they call it a pendulum swing because they should swing it until it stops on its own. Then they should swing it in another direction until it stops on its own. And this will um, provide a nice internal massage in the actual joint and start to relubricate that joint capsule that's become dried out. It just gets desiccated inside from the lack of movement. Mm -hmm. So that's a real safe one to do, the pendulum swing. And then later on, uh, they can introduce TheraBand with the same uh, movements that you've been using uh, you know, Don, with the METs, little micro movements first, and then building to the bigger movements until they're well again. Okay. Many people do recover, especially, again, if they have the opportunity to work with a massage therapist, because the physical therapy for this is quite good, but it may end a little too early for this long condition. So the question is, let's say, you know, I don't have any training, particularly in frozen shoulder what are your recommendations for people out there who might be interested in exploring and learning more about this? What, what are their, their options out there? Well, there's, there's again, I have to stress that if they want some good written text on this, that uh, um, the clinical massage therapy book has wonderful detailed outline of what, you know, good protocols for each, each phase of the frozen shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's the most, you know, uh, logical way to treat it I've ever seen written on uh, in written form. Of course, uh, if you want to see the uh, DVD video, I do recommend. I know I don't like to talk about myself, but the the frozen shoulder video that we put together a few years back is excellent, and it's still excellent. And it takes you through the assessment all the way through um, treatment of the neck, the muscles of the neck that should be engaged a good neck massage, a good abdominal massage for freeing the diaphragm, the the whole shoulder in prone supine, um, it, it's and the back, of course. And it's filmed, uh, we filmed it th- through a, a, a 
a plexiglass table so that you can see what my hands are doing, not just above the body, but from underneath. Okay. Uh, so it's really well done. And you can get four CEUs if you watch it and take the exam. So if you need CEU credits, it's there too. We tried to think of everything. Um, so for now, that's, that's what I can recommend. Uh, by the way, and for the people who are listening to this podcast, we're going to have a link on the right side of massagepodcast.com a link to Elaine's video. We really recommend you guys if you are interested into exploring and expanding your practice into treating these type of conditions, why don't you take a chance and get that video? And of course, for live classes, they're always going on at the Boulder College of Massage Therapy. Uh, we do an orthopedic and sports massage classes where uh, we'll treat frozen shoulder and all kinds of other shoulder problems, by the way, you know, with the upper extremity and cervical module. I mean, we have uh, great classes there all the time. And if you're too far away from Boulder, um, Colorado has some really fantastic schools, and many of them offer um, very good continuing education. So if you prefer the live, you know, interaction with others, take classes. It's so much fun to take classes, and it helps you, frees you from being burnt out, and just makes you fall in love with the Absolutely. profession again. Would mm -hmm. you agree, Don? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So do you have any, any other things that you would like to cover before we end this segment with the, with the frozen shoulder sure. condition? Just to say that, you know, again, we're just getting started, but this show is going to be, um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, very exciting, especially when we start to hear from you. Those of you out there that may have questions, those of you who like to call me and pick my brain, please do it now. Uh, you have three people to talk with here and get your answers. We, we're going to cover all kinds of treatments here. We're going to talk about politics a little bit, research and the latest trends. Also, uh, we'll have a tip every week, hopefully a nice tip for you, and uh, some information about all the greatest gadgets and accessories and, and all these great things coming out to help you in your practice. So, um, and I would like to invite people to, you know, just if you can mark in your bookmarks, the, 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 our site, massagepodcast.com. There are multiple ways to get a hold of us. If you would like to send us an email, there is a contact form there. There's also a phone number there where you can send us a text message. And uh, our commitment is prior to each show, we're probably going to tell you about the topic of the day. So if you are unable to see this, the recording live, you can send us your questions or comments about the topic and we would be more than happy to share that with our all the people who are listening to this podcast okay so we have a tip of the week oh so what is the tip of the week the tip here of the week because it's starting to get cold now and i've noticed on my my own hands some hand care ideas and just a, a tip that if you of course you know we use oil and lotion all the time but we also wash our hands a lot so our hands and cuticles get dry and this can cause some real problems and in some cases even infection so um, but I, my doctor, dermatologist, had recommended Vaseline. Of all things, I thought he was going to sell me some fancy, you know, $90 <laughs> salve. And he said, don't spend money. He says, use Vaseline. I know it's a petroleum product, but it doesn't go through your skin. Mm -hmm. And it really uh, has a protective coating. And you know what? It's worked better than some of the real expensive things. I've tried Vaseline at night and sometimes during the day if you have a break, uh, use it around your nails. Also, Burt's Bees. Burt's Bees, but it's a salve, rescue salve, I think it's called. Anything that's a salve or has some, um, that because lotions and creams just won't do it. And the accessory of the week is the foam roller. I can't tell you 
how great it is for self-care on those breaks when you're waiting for your clients to come in. I know some people think it's painful, but it just takes some getting used to. But it's very helpful, and we'll have some uh, some things you can do with that foam roller. Um, well, we'll try to describe it somehow or show it somehow. Uh, but if you don't have one, get one and experiment with it. They have the little ones, too, you can use. Uh, and probably what we can do here on the show notes on the website, probably we can include some pictures, some photos, some photos of these products that we're describing. And Absolutely. Hopefully people just can take care of themselves. Yes, uh, the foam rollers helped me a lot take care of myself. You can get, I, I'm able to get the rhomboids, the all parts of the leg, the glutes, everything. It's um, very helpful. Mm -hmm. And uh, every massage therapist should have one. <laughs> Absolutely. So we would like to invite everybody just to share their comments, suggestions about any topics that they would like to, to cover and uh, ask for feedback. Uh, uh, pretty much one of the reasons why we're doing this is that I have found myself many times in trouble just because I'm not, you know, probably hard-headed and I I'm not willing to ask somebody else with more experience. When I'm able to meet with uh, people like Elaine or Don from time to time and talk about our concerns, all of a sudden it's just like you listen to other people's options, suggestions, and really makes your life easier. Sometimes we just follow the same path and we're just, you know, knocking on a wall every single time. We can just go through and just hearing from somebody like, like you, Elena, you have helped me quite a few times when I come over to school and talk to you and all of a sudden something that seems pretty basic, you know, just, I'm just stuck with the same ideas that sometimes make me struggle in my practice in, in many areas. Could be from technique, could be from marketing. So, I really invite people to really jump and, and because I'm sure I'm not the only one out there with these concerns. I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of therapies nowadays, we, we do have to adjust to the new changes in this profession. I'm sure the, the profession is not the same as when you jump 20 years ago, or, or is it? Well, no, and it's not the same at all. And it's uh, 31 years ago, Jorge. You know, it was back in the 70s. And, oh, yeah. You know, in the days where you said, no, I work at the bagel place because you didn't even want to say you were a massage therapist. People would give you terrible remarks. But we're also going to have some exciting guests on the show from all over Colorado and beyond uh, to share their experience in marketing and, and, and helpful tools of how you can get your business, you know, going or, you know, revive it. So that's going to be, I, I think this going to be my favorite part of the show is like really a networking with um, other people live right here. And I think it'd be good to get an accountant in here as well. And because I, um, it's, I'm still stumped sometimes with taxes and a lot of us are self-employed or independent contractors. And I think um, there are a lot of things that we miss as far as tax write-offs and anything else involving taxes. So I think... Yeah, I think we should have a great show at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and in my case, I, I recommend to people to really try to explore all these things in technology because, you know, like it or not, like it or not. you know, the internet is not going anywhere. And, you know, I've seen it. Obviously, this has been my profession for many years, how fast these things change. And because all those changes, this is what we're doing this podcast Nowadays, a lot of people are preferring to subscribe to audio or video. And this is part of the beauty of having a podcast where people just subscribe 
and you know they just get notifications saying oh there's a new audio there would you like to download and listen to it i just found myself over the last year listening to a bunch of podcasts not exactly about massage it's about technology and other things that i'm involved with but i guess this is a great opportunity for people to really you know be up to date uh, i was talking the other day with elaine that many times you re we receive this i don't know if it's monthly or uh, four times a, uh, a year the magazines uh, about massage and sometimes you don't even have the time to really go through it unless an article really gets my attention i might read it but so many times i'm missing so much information because we just don't have the time to sit and read and i find that audio is, is a great tool just Use your smart device, your iPhone, your whatever you're using out there. Download the, the audio and just uh, as you're driving, most of the time we're spending half an hour, 45 minutes a day. So it's a good way so you can catch up with all these things and hopefully uh, the topics that we're going to be talking uh, about for the next few eight weeks get your attention. You're so right, Jorge. My car has become my classroom. You know, over the years, just listening to all kinds of self-help things and and technology has to become less and less scary. We have a graduate from Boulder College of Massage Therapy, Michael Moore, out in, in Boston. He went out there what, 12 years ago, and Michael Moore, and he's got this great website called Moore Massage, <sighs> and he's won the best of Boston massage therapy like three, four years in a row. So if you want to see what a great massage therapy website looks like where people can go on and schedule their appointments and everything, and a thriving practice. He's made gobs of money, and he's very successful and very happy. Check out moremassage.com, son of a gun. I like to see a lot of my graduates going out there and just, just making a killing in a really nice way, of course, you know. There's some great tools also on uh, the AMTA website, and what's the other? ABMP. ABMP has Absolutely, you know. great marketing ideas. Mm -hmm. I still think that there are resources, and I don't think many people even think to go onto the website. They they have their insurance, they're set, but there are many resources and tools on those in those places as well. And, right. and, and by the way, we also would like to invite students uh, of massage. You know, you don't have to be already in practice, but if you're a student and you have a lot of questions, I I know for a fact that I had a lot of questions and. When I before graduating myself, uh, graduating from BCMT, I thought that I knew everything, <laughs> and I felt like, oh, I don't need your help. I know how to do this, and you know, guess oh. what? You don't know anything about this. That Students is the reality. Never say that. <laughs> so you come up with your plan, and everything looks fine and fancy, but you know, reality is quite different when once that you, regardless of what is your, what is it that you're looking here, if you are going to have your own private practice, or if you're going to work for somebody else. So. I'm sure there's a lot of questions for uh, students who are just about to graduate or even for people who might be considering this as a, as a career. You know, I think we're thinking about 10 years back, uh, Don, I don't know if you remember this place, but when we were recording this podcast 10 years ago, we started to practice shiatsu. Yeah. I remember taking our first class with Beck Stephens, and this was our place. It didn't look like this, of course. Nope. But we were practicing here shiatsu, and... Uh, my expectations were different at the time, and I think the profession was different 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now, going through all these 10 years, you see all this, those transitions and how do we as, as therapists, we have to adapt and make changes just to keep up with everything. Yeah, so now in Colorado, we have a registration. Uh, for instance, who knew that was gonna happen so soon? 
And by the way, if you are a registered massage therapist in Colorado, the renewal date will be January 2011. So, and you may, they may, the Department of Regulatory Agencies may send us a notice in the mail, but it's really our individual uh, responsibility to look into their website and renew in January. So just a little reminder there. Do you have any idea how many registered massage therapies do we have in the state? Yes, we thought there were going to be about 6,000. Uh -huh. They're over 10,000 now. So uh -huh. they've, they've come out of the woodwork here in Colorado, and it's a very strong state. We have some really exciting, um, we're always finding out, you know, more about the legislation. We're finding out we've got 10,000 massage therapists. Who knew? And that's a, that's a good body of people. I'm still kind of pissed of still looking those ads from those happy ending places using, <laughs> yeah. using massage. They're and still I, there. I, 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 I really would like, you know, uh, I know the state is struggling with uh, their finances as well, so they can create a, you know, I don't know, a test team to go after them because it really, it really hurts our practice. Well, yeah. It, I think they're busy with uh, dispensaries. <laughs> yeah, could be. There's could nobody be. left for yeah. us. But the um, the that whole thing, you know, and again, being back from the 70s and working for a long time with New York State, I think it took us 10 years to get New York State to take all the triple X massage. They couldn't use the word massage anymore on 42nd Street. That's when they cleaned up 42nd Street, too, and Times Square. But you can't find the word associated with um, sex and massage and sex anymore in New York. It took 10 years, but we legislated and we ran up and down to Albany and we got it done. And here, this is just the beginning. Having registered massage therapy is just the beginning. And it may take 10 years before we see a little more cleanup. And certainly, um, it, it just can't hurt us. I know some people are like, why do we have to be registered? Why do we have to? We were fine the way we were. Well, we can be even better with this registration it will and all of it's up to all of us to go into these places that we know are not legitimate massage therapy places and ask to see their registration card and give them a hard time and send the cops over don't you think we get in trouble i mean those guys may, they may you i know, wouldn't don't do, it. do anything dangerous of course don't put yourself in a dangerous situation what i'm saying is that there's some places that um you know you can report them uh, or ask the police, the local police, to go in there and look into it. They know what's going on. And some police, they, they call me and say, how you know, they were bu bugging me forever to say, when are you guys going to get a, a license so we can go in and bust these places? There's some officers that are really want to do that, and they'll go into this, you know, massage parlor, so to speak, and find, you know, look in the, in the washer and dryers and find like 300 condoms, it's probably not a legitimate massage therapy practice at that point. <laughs> you know what's interesting is uh, uh, Catherine Stewart informed me that uh, we are not really considered licensed. We're just considered registered. That's we're considered right. registered. And that she told me we are only supposed to have RMT mm -hmm. after our name. We're not allowed to say CMT anymore. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Or right. You're a CMT uh, when you graduate from a certified like mas massage therapy program, but uh. once you become registered, then you're an RMT, which actually holds a little bit more weight. But, you know, it's interesting. And I, the first time I saw RMT behind someone's name, I was like, what's an RMT? So <laughs> yeah. I think... Uh, you know, it kind of confuses people a little bit as to what a, an RMT is since these rules. I mean, even I didn't know. So. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, a lot of people have their all printing advertisement as CMT here in Colorado, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, just a few little by little are starting to change those to RMT. 
So I think it's going to take a while. I mean, I wouldn't throw all my paperwork, you know, if I already pay for it. I'm, I'm just going to throw it away. I'm still going to give it. And probably in the next round, I'm going to just make the changes. Mm -hmm. So would you like to wrap things up for us, Don? Yes, yes. Uh, for those of you who have joined us, thank you for being here. We're excited and we look forward to talking with you all next week. By the way, we might be changing the recording date to Mondays because uh, Thursdays present a little bit of a problem for the next month in November. But the plan is that we are going to do this recording live Mondays and probably December. If you know, everything goes going well, we might be switching back to Thursdays. Anything else, Elaine? No, just thank you everybody for listening and please write us, call us, ask us questions, bug us. We'd love to hear from you. Our website is massagepodcast.com. Thank you so much. <laughs>